is like hey somebody's making sure it's it's pfizer they're sending in their henchmen either moderna or pfizer they're, they're, it's it's i i like to imagine that you know whenever someone knocks on my door while i'm interviewing a doctor um, I just imagine it's a mercenary paid in Bitcoin sent from Moderna or Johnson & Johnson to kill me. But um, <laughs> that, I guess that lays out the foundation for this episode is uh, yeah. for everybody listening. This is episode 533 with Dr. Tenenbaum. And we are going to be talking about all things COVID, COVID vaccine, early treatment. As everyone knows, episode 495 was Dr. Robert Malone. I've had on here Dr. Hodkinson, Dr. Freed, Dr. McCullough, and... Uh, I just watched yesterday the episode with Pierre Corey on Joe Rogan, which was fantastic. And uh, not perhaps I'm in good company. I feel my concerns are the same as Rogan's. And that is, I'm not a doctor. I can't tell anyone what they should or shouldn't do. What I am very concerned with is when individuals of uh, impeccable, from an impeccable authoritative stance on the subject are being systematically and coordinatedly, is that a word? In a coordinated fashion, censored. And to me, that's no good because never in world history have the censors been, oh, you know, they were doing the right thing. You know, it's a good thing the Nazis did that. No one's ever said yeah. that. It's but, never uh, a good sign. It's, it's the equivalent of uh, modern day book burning. Yeah, actually. it's 100% that. Yeah, I used this example yesterday. And I'll let you yeah. introduce yourself in a second. I used this example yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes, you know, the good guys do use the guns. We used guns and we liberated Auschwitz. I would say it's a good thing. Never, yeah. never once has has Big Brother clamped down conversation and people have gone, you know what? It was it was for the best. But enough of this. Please introduce yourself to everybody listening. Okay, so um, I am a, a full professor at uh, University of uh, Toronto in Canada and uh, full professor in the Faculty of Dentistry at the University as well as uh, in the uh, Faculty of Medicine in Laboratory Medicine and Pathophysiology. Uh, my research has really focused on several areas, starting, interestingly, with bone metabolism, bone cell biology, but then eventually moving towards inflammation, inflammatory disease, because as a clinician, I treat inflammatory disease. And so you might sort of be sitting and thinking, well, why is a person who's specialized in periodontology, which is a specialty that focuses on oral inflammatory disease, I guess one simple way of saying it is inflammation is inflammation no matter where it is. And in fact, a lot of the research that we've been doing with my colleagues as well um, have led us to understand that there are therapeutic um, parallels, therapeutic targets that we might use for treating oral inflammatory disease that actually would be quite beneficial and are showing a, a benefit in treatment of patients who have COVID, uh, COVID-19. And so that's where things sort of got together. Um, and so part of our research in collaboration with my American colleagues as well, Dr. Larry Gollum at uh, SUNY at uh, Stony Brook, um, his colleagues also looked at some of the treatments that we might use for oral inflammatory disease in a model, um, uh, actually a pig model, which is actually very close to human no comment, and uh, a pig uh, respiratory disease model, something called acute respiratory distress, which is um, really what people die of when they die from COVID, COVID-19, if they die from the disease. Actually, that's what people with influenza die from, is acute respiratory distress syndrome, ARDS or ARDS. And what they showed was, was that one of the 
medications that we use, which is easily available, virtually no side effects, is called doxycycline or tetracycline. Um, completely inhibited the development of ARDS or ARDS in the pig models. And uh, now there's research, uh, lots of uh, cohort controlled studies showing that doxycycline, uh, usually in combination with hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin can be very effective in reducing um, hospitalization and death. In fact, there was one case control, case just the case series uh, in, in one member of the call, a group that I work with, where uh, they looked at patients who had cancer, severe lung cancer, who had developed COVID. This was early on in the pandemic, and they were just going downhill. They, they were they were going to die, and the oncologist knew about the doxycycline research and thought, you know, what have I got to lose? Uh, and she put them all. It was about five patients. She put them all on doxycycline, and they published it, and they all got better. Some within a couple of days. The worst one who had all sorts of comorbidities may have taken about a week or so and got better just with doxycycline. Um, uh, so doxycycline alone led us into this, plus our other studies in the area of oxidative stress, which also contributes to inflammation and plays a major role in, in the pathogenesis of COVID-19. And, and we've been studying um, therapeutics that block oxidative stress. Uh, there's a component in red wine that does that. And uh, again, this is being uh, used in some experimental studies and certainly uh, various um, li literature reviews. Lots of people are coming up with doxycycline, resveratrol, and of course, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. So that's sort of how I got involved. I know it's a, so it's a little strange. And so at the very beginning um, of the COVID epidemic or pandemic, I approached my medical uh, or several medical colleagues because um, although I can do a study on uh, various oral diseases, even oral cancer, I, I can't, as a, uh, a non-physician, run a study on COVID. Um, and so I approached several um, medical people and talked to them about the potential for uh, use of doxycycline, possibly in combination with hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. And uh, I got either no response or I got, they sort of looked at me like I was crazy, which may be true. Sure. And that doesn't mean I'm not. And uh, not, not crazy. Right. You know, and uh, they, they just weren't interested. And the fastest way to end a conversation, in fact, was to raise this topic uh, that an antibiotic called doxycycline or tetracycline could possibly uh, help with COVID. And by the way, it's also been shown that doxycycline unexpectedly, but happily, also prevents viral replication. So growth of the virus. So not only does it stop the, the cytokine storm and ARDS or ARDS, but it even inhibits replication and growth of, of the virus. Um, eventually, I got hooked up with some researchers, uh, medical researchers at another hospital um, who were very, very interested uh, and we put together a proposal, but we didn't get funding for it. And that's actually the story that I hear from some of the biggest medical colleagues in the U.S. that I know of. Um, there's just no interest in uh, understanding or funding research in anything other than a vaccine. 
Um, although I know Anthony Fauci is now interested in um, drugs that might prevent COVID, and he has them right under his nose, but he's ignoring. It's, <clears throat> it's, again, you know, I'm, I, I can say whatever I want, right? I'm 31. I have no medical degree. I can just yell at a camera. I can say it's the aliens they're doing. And it doesn't really matter because, you know, no one really pays attention to me, nor should they. But it's it's a, it's very odd to me when, you know, if, I, if if Dr. Tannenbaum, you come up to me, and you're like, Tommy, you know, let me tell you that you're, you're throwing a football all wrong. I'd be like, shut up. You know, if my dad was like, you're throwing a football all wrong, I'd be like, all right, you're my dad, you know, but come on, man. Like, you're a business guy. You don't. But if Tom Brady comes up to me and he's like, hey, I got this is how you throw a football. And then people go, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. He's a whack job. And I'm like, he's he's a seven time Super Bowl champion he's been to the super bowl 10 times tom brady has more super bowl rings than any franchise and they go far-right conspiracy theorists and i'd be like i don't think he is so if i say shit excuse me whatever when dr malone the inventor of this it's like hey you know he's like this is a little contrary but normally the inventor hawks their product and he's like i'm saying it's dangerous right when dr peter mccullough the most published cardiorenal physician in world history is like there is a worldwide campaign to suppress early treatment. When Dr. Pierre Corey, the founder of FLCCC on Joe Rogan is, is tearing up because he's like, they're yes. killing people. He's like, sure, we all go after money. Who doesn't? I understand it. My phone is, you know, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, what, what's the term when something's made to pre, uh, predetermined, uh, whatever it is, you know, when electronics are meant to break down after a year or two, whatever I'm having yeah. a brain fart right now, planned obsolescence. Yeah, sure. I get it. It's corporations, the West East Indies and the guys building the pyramids probably weren't given their, uh, work, their slaves, healthcare. I get it. Yeah. The human whole, I get it. Greed, evil, blah, blah, blah. Sure. But he's like, this is, he's like, they're massacring people. This is not only does the vaccine have, what, to date, 12,366 deaths? That's just the U.S. That's just the U.S. And he's like, let's not even talk about vaccine deaths. How many deaths have happened because we can't do or just forget vaccines entirely? Just snip that off from the conversation. How many deaths are happening right now? And Dr. McCullough says they could reduce hospitalizations by 85%. Correct. So all of this to me is there's such this odd sort of as McCullough says, there's almost a hypnotism to what you just said. The quickest way to to end a conversation is to be like, man, you know, it's kind of weird how they're suppressing ivermectin. Everyone, it's like the MK Ultra victim. It's their word to go silent. They all just, you know, they just don't say right. anything. What's yeah. going on? Yeah. You know what? I mean, we can speculate as to what's going sure. on. Uh, you know, it just means I need a fresh tinfoil hat or something to do that. Um and I, I have to say, I have never believed in a lot of these conspiracy theories that I hear about um, all the time. It's just never been in my nature. Sure. But after seeing what I'm seeing, which appears to be an intentional suppression of treatment that works. And by the way, if this treatment hadn't been suppressed, the emergency youth author- use authorizations for the vaccines could never have been granted because they can only be granted when there's viable treatment. And, uh, and we know on the basis of hundreds of studies now that, that these treatments are, are effective. So I don't, I, I, I can't really understand apart from really nefarious reasons why these sorts of things are being suppressed. And yet 
On the other hand, I, I know that my medical colleagues, I mean, they're not getting little brown envelopes full of money and not using uh, XYZ, uh, which is Z in the US. Um, they, they, just, they just seem to be, it's almost like a mass uh, uh, psychosis. Yeah. Uh, they won't discuss it. And I think people are more willing to, to almost die than to not be accepted by the mainstream. And um, I mean, you see, uh, Dr. Dr. McCullough gave a great example of this. Um, you might have two patients, one's dying from COVID, um, and then across the room, there's another patient who's got a skin disorder, uh, uh, scabies, and they'll give that patient ivermectin. But the one who's dying from COVID, no, they'd rather the patient die. It, not this nihilistic medical approach which goes beyond all, all reason. What disease do you literally tell people, you know, go home, wait till your lips turn blue and then come to the hospital. I mean, there's, there's you know, early treatment is always the best intervention yeah. unless a disease is self-limiting and you know it's gonna get better on its, on its own. Yeah, it's, yeah, and as everyone knows, I, I'm the opposite of you. I love conspiracies, to me they're fun, but I love conspiracies in the same way I love Transformers movies. They're fun and I can turn my brain off and laugh, right? I got a lot of tinfoil I got to use up. But with this, it does seem, and I also point this out, I've had on Dr. Ken Alabek several times, who is the head of the Soviet bioweapon program and defected to the U.S. If they wanted to do depopulation, they wouldn't be using COVID. So I don't buy into the whole, it's a depopulation. If they wanted a depopulation plan, they'd either launch the nukes or let loose Ebola. Like, I, I don't buy into that. I think it's driven by money, but... It's it is, it's so insane when there are proof and I don't have any I don't own stock in these vax or in these companies nor do I not own stock and there's no I'm taking a hard line against vaccines I don't I don't care there's no I'm on this side and you're I don't care I'm not a doctor I do not care yeah you I know care what I about think, free speech I think people tend to impute the notion that there's a conspiracy yeah. when everyone is acting in the same way. But uh, the way I look at it is there are these, these outward or outside pressures from people who really do stand to gain from, let's say, the vaccines. Uh, the big pharma companies, NIH, CDC, they get a lot of money from the big pharma companies. Yeah. And so when you have the same external influence operating on everyone that has a stake in the game, then they all behave in the same way. Mm-hmm. So if six boats on the water and the water starts flowing in one direction, all the boats are gonna go at the same time in the same direction. It doesn't mean that they're colluding with each sure. other. They're just going in the same direction. And I really think that we're looking at a similar phenomenon here where for whatever reason, uh, the reward um, for uh, suppressing treatment, uh, active, uh, effective, early treatment and and the reward for being able to get a needle in everyone's arms and notice i didn't say vaccinate everyone because they're not vaccinating people they're they're still getting sick so um whatever that is so it looks like everyone's colluding and and i actually i i just i still can't can't believe it um but yet i still can't explain you know at the ground level why physicians, uh, my colleagues, um, are still so resistant to treatment that's really been shown to be highly effective. And even 
when we talk about randomized controlled trials as being the gold standard. Well, to a certain degree, of course, randomized controlled trials are a gold standard or a standard. But there's a problem. First of all, we're in the midst of a pandemic. Second, and it takes a long time to do a, a well done randomized controlled trial. There have been a lot of badly done randomized controlled trials. Most of those uh, end up showing that either ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine don't work, but they've been horribly done, ranging from using toxic doses of hydroxychloroquine um, to treating people who are, who, um, are virtually 99% dead and finding no effect, or the opposite end, treating pe people who aren't going to die because they're young, they're healthy, and they're not going to die. So if they're not going to die from the disease, then whether you give them ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or not, you're not going to see a difference between placebo and control. So, so many of these studies are, have just been done terribly. But what, hap what, what what's well known in the literature is that once you get a certain number of cohort studies, you know these studies where they, they may treat 100 people with hydroxychloroquine and compare them to other patients who didn't get that treatment, and, and that's a cohort study. It doesn't imply causality. You can't, you can't actually um, say that there's a causal relationship between the better outcomes because it's not a randomized control trial. But when you put those together and study them all together and use all the population numbers from, let's say, 10 studies, and now you're looking at maybe 2,000 people or 3,000 people, um, called a meta-analysis or systematic review meta-analysis. Um, virtually all the time, the meta-analysis results show that after analyzing all these cohort-controlled uh, studies that aren't RCTs, that they actually produce the same result as a, a, an RCT that's eventually been done if it's well done. So you get the same result. So we know even without the RCT. So putting up the RCT as a roadblock, well, that's what he's doing. He's putting up an RCT as a roadblock. There's another problem. Most clinical scientists cannot uh, get enough money to do um, full-blown randomized controlled trials. They're extremely expensive, especially given the number of patients that need to be done. Only pharma companies really have that amount of money. Um, and they're not going to study ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or doxycycline because they can't patent it. So there's a problem there. And finally, and I think possibly most importantly, um, randomized controlled trials are terrific when you're studying something like chronic pain. Um, patients um, given placebos, uh, there's about a 30% placebo response to patient, in patients who have a chronic pain syndrome. So we know that, and that's why you have to do an RCT. But when the outcome of the study in the placebo group is that their pain didn't really uh, respond as well as the actual active drug group, that's, that's okay. But when the potential outcomes, especially in, let's say, an elder, elderly population or high-risk population with comorbidities like diabetes or obesity, when the potential outcome is death in the placebo group, then it, it, it's, it's wholly unethical mm -hmm. to, to perform an RCT. And so when you talk about COVID-19, although overall the risk of death is not really, it's, in fact, it's lower than influenza in many cases. Um, but if you're studying, you know, an at-risk population who might die without treatment, I mean, can you imagine you or, or let's say 
your father, asking your father to do a, uh, go into a study and say, well, he might get the placebo and die. And, you know, that's crazy. And um, so, you know, holding up the RCT um, as the gold standard and the only way that uh, these drugs would be allowed is, is actually silly. Moreover, the FDA has hundreds of drugs, none of which have undergone RCT testing, but have been approved by the FDA and they're safe and effective. It's, yeah, it's, <clears throat> and I've said this before as well, but I, I agree with you is, uh, I think it, everyone's moving in the same direction, so it looks conspiratorial. And I, I really, and as someone that loves conspiracies, I don't think it's some grand, sexy, evil plan. It, the same way that, you know, was, you said boats, so but I was going to say, you know, every water molecule coming off a waterfall uh, isn't in like conspiracy. We're all heading straight down. No, it's yeah. just gravity. It's just that's right. It's just what but it they're is. They're all conspiring to go straight down. Yeah. You're right, and uh, I, I really, you know, the, the I, I just don't believe these depopulation uh, conspiracies. I mean, they do my, they use nukes. My, um, <laughs> I'll tell you my one rationale for not believing it. it has nothing to do with science. Um, it's this. It's whenever there is a um, uh, some sort of uh, conflict of interest or something, uh, let's say, nefarious going on in the government that they don't want us to know about, we always find out. Mm-hmm. They can never keep anything secret. And so how could something as big as this, yeah. how could they possibly keep this thing secret? Yeah. Now, having said that, I find it absolutely astounding and remarkable that the mainstream media are still not reporting the numbers of deaths um, associated with the vaccine, the injuries, uh, adverse events, myocarditis, they're calling it a mild problem. No, it isn't. It's a very serious problem. Um, so the deaths and injuries just in the States and then in the in UK and EU, I mean, we're talking, you know, maybe, God knows, maybe 100,000 people all told uh, may have died from this vaccination. Um, across the world, because let's say in the in the U.S. reporting site, theirs, uh, maybe one to five percent of cases get reported. So if you're reporting twelve or thirteen thousand cases um, in the VAERS site, what's that really mean of death? And then when they talk about the adverse events, well, they didn't die, and they're talking about it like as if the adverse events are meaningless. Now, in some cases, the adverse event might have been might have been um, severe, such that the patient might have gone to the hospital with a high fever and not feeling well, but was discharged in two days. Okay, fine. But but what about the other adverse events that are life altering? Um, the development of, of transverse myelitis or, or MS, multiple sclerosis-like symptoms, stroke, uh, heart attack, myocarditis is very life altering, um, and and not in a good way. Um, these people are being injured and have to suffer for the rest of their lives. Um, and, you know, they're not talking about that. How the media are ignoring that, I don't know. And how much longer they can keep it sort of almost secret, I, I don't know. Um, just as an aside, there's something going on in Europe right now, which again is not related directly to the science, but I don't know if you're aware there, there are probably millions of people protesting. Oh, in yeah. France and, and England and other 
uh, EU uh, nations um, and uh, about the vaccine passport and mandatory vaccination. And I don't think I haven't read anything about it in our local or national newspapers in, in Canada, nor have I seen anything um, on the mainstream news media, either in Canada or, or the U.S. So if they don't report it, it's not happening, of course. How could they not report that? Yeah. Um, yeah. What's going on? Yeah, there's like two million. Yeah, you'll see it online. Every once in a while, you'll see a video. You'll be like, wait, where's the front? It's like two yeah. million people in France, like, you know, throwing bricks through the capital. And you well, just... yeah, in, in London, I think uh, there was a large, huge group based on the videos anyway. And uh, one group was trying to break into the British Broadcasting Corporation because they were going after them, I guess, on the basis of the fact that they presumed, probably rightly, that the BBC was just, you know, continually broadcasting fear and doom um, and uh not broadcasting what might really be happening and as we all know you want to be able to get people to think in the same way the key to that as in a key to open a door is fear once you can still fear and which is being done very very well right now um then you can convince the the majority of people of almost anything yeah it's uh yeah it's it's insane when yeah, when you see a million people marching, or there's a there's a guy in Australia that has a YouTube video it's from like Russia or something, but he just try, he just uploads videos every day. And he's like, watch this. I want to drove around without a mask on. He gets pulled over by like armed officers because he doesn't have a mask on, and they're like, we're gonna commit you to a hospital. And yeah. he, it's it's insanity, and it's again, it's there is this sort of. It's almost like who is it? Uh, Solonichkin, so uh, the Gulag, Ar- yeah, the Gulag art, Ar- Ar- yeah, and then Yuri Bezmenov, right? You know, no amount of information you show them, you know, you get them closer and closer, and it's, you know, I, I put up a video with Dr. Malone, and like the overwhelming response on like social media was, well, he's not the actual inventor, and I'm like, well, what? And they're like, well, on Wikipedia, and I'm like, well, here's an article of the co-founder of Wikipedia saying Wikipedia has been captured, correct? And they're like, well, he's the co-founder, and I'm like. Okay, I'm like, well, here's Dr. McCall. Or the one response was, uh, just because Malone invented it, that doesn't mean he's an expert on it. Which I, wow, I, okay. Well, people, people will say anything. One thing I've learned, uh, sadly, is that when I uh, begin to quote actual research literature uh, to people, um, it's it doesn't really mean anything. Uh, so when you try to use logical argument with uh, people who don't believe in early treatment, people who firmly believe in mass vaccinating during a pandemic, with which Geert Vandenbosch um, warned about a year ago, don't do this. And he predicted exactly what we're seeing now. Yeah. Uh, narrow immunity and their viral escape. Um, and you can, you, you can use as much logic as you want, but it, this is not a logical... Uh, or logic is, is uh, the last thing people use in making these arguments. And what I find is that they resort very quickly to a hominem attacks. Um, there was a recent article in the Toronto newspaper uh, by a former advisor to one of our past prime ministers and basically saying, yeah, actually, yeah, I am upset with you. I'm vaccinated people. I don't like you. You're the ones who are making the rest of us sick and you should be ashamed of yourself. And then if, you know, you could, talk about the data as much as you want, you're not going to change his moment. 
Yeah. It's sort of like people, racists. I mean, when you talk to a racist, um, any sort of racist, you know, anti-Semite, whatever, and you start and, and you use logical argument, historical fact, whatever, to, to show them the error of their ways, it's, you, you might as well be talking to a wall. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I had that realization a while ago, maybe not a while, maybe like a year or two ago, that I realized I was like, the only thing dumber than someone who who doesn't see data and, and make a change in their mindset is the person trying to present the data to them thinking that, it's like the only thing dumber than my dog not being able to understand algebra is me going why can't I get him to understand al-? at a certain point you go so, um, we, right. <laughs> we have a sort of a listserv with Dr. McCullough and Dr. Malone so okay. on and there was this one individual um, that I was trying to reason with and Malone emailed me he says stop arguing with crazy people yeah. Rule number one. Yeah. 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 So I went, you know what? You're right. I just stopped. You just, right. And it, and it, you know, I, I worked as a bouncer at a bar for a couple of years. And, you know, my number one rule is hey, you, there's a certain level of inebriation, there's a certain uh, blood alcohol content. Stop arguing. You just, you stop going, hey, you just start, you, instead, you just, it's kind of like judo. You just go with them. You go, that's right. That person is being mean. And you just distract them until the two morons separate. The difference between this and why isn't my dog understanding algebra is this isn't just, hey, you know what, agree to disagree, Democrat, Republican, Red Sox, Yankees, stop arguing with crazy. The difference is, is they want to enact change on your life. So it's not you can't just walk away because they go, I want you to take this experimental gene therapy with uh, you know a higher death rate than any vaccine in world history. And if you don't get it, then you can't use this passport. And now you can't go to the gym, can't go to the grocery store, can't yeah. participate in society. I mean, hey, look, we're not going to kill you, but just put this gold star on. At a certain point, if you go back and look, I mean, there's a great book called KL by Nicholas Foshman about how the concentration camps arose. And you go back and you look at it, and it truly is just these baby steps, these baby Little steps. Baby steps. And, Everything was legal. Yes. Uh, Adolf Hitler came to power legally, 100%. by the way. 100%. They used to and, go to the uh, – they used to start for 48-hour stays. They would go to the work yeah. camps. They would, There's reports from the guards that you would, you would drink gin with the inmates. They'd play cards, and it's every once in a while there'd be a beating, and everyone would be like, whoa, what was that? And there'd be a poly- – officials used to come from Berlin and they'd come in and they go, what are you doing here? You can't do beatings. And they'd have to smooth it over and talk it over and it keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going. And now you, you can go and look at the piles of shoes and you go never yeah. again. How did that happen? Well, it starts with, you, you know, take one person and you put all of the bad things in society on them. Uh, sadly, um, I don't know if the stakes are, are as grotesque. They might be. not yet, but, but the same things are happening. The censorship, the uh, now they're dehumanizing in a way the unvaccinated. Yes. Okay. When you dehumanize the victim, then it's okay to they're not to human. The victim and treat them any way you want. But you know, with these um, um, vaccine uh, passports and, and mandatory vaccine, uh, well, as I said, it doesn't confer complete uh, immunity. And what I find remarkable is if you. Um, look at the data from uh, when H1N1 was around. I forget exactly when that pandemic occurred. Oh, no. But created the H1N1 vaccine. 
and uh, started to administer during the pandemic. Again, not a good idea. And 52 people died as a result of receiving the H1N1 vaccine. When that happened, the vaccine was pulled. Yeah, halted. Halted. Um, Vioxx, a, a medication uh, that was uh, approved by the FDA, also halted. I don't know how many people were killed, but it was certainly not as many people as we are seeing on, on the VAERS site or the uh, UK yellow card system. And yet uh, we seem to have this tolerance for thousands of deaths um, for an agent that's really not providing the protection that they said it was. And furthermore, the vaccine was developed against, let's say, the initial variant of, of uh, COVID. And they're still giving people that vaccine now. In fact, they want to give you a booster. And, and there's a study out of Israel showing that about they just identified at least 14 or 20 patients who've been now had the booster, <laughs> two vaccines and a booster, and they're still developing um, still developing disease. And uh, so you wonder how, how is it that they can keep um, promoting this medication or this vaccine? It's sort of like giving a flu vaccine now for last year's flu. You know, so, you know, every year they change the flu vaccine to try to hit the, the flu strains that they think are going to be predominant. And you would never think that they would give you last year's flu vaccine for this year's strains of, of, of flu viruses. And yet the, the original variant against which the vaccine was developed is, it's a, I think it's gone. It's not even here anymore. And it's uh, the Delta certainly has overtaken it. Um, as uh, as will others that become more transmissible as sort of part of the natural evolution of, of uh, viral um, development. And, and they're saying to people, well, you know, we're going to keep giving you this vaccine, but that's against, let's say, the alpha variant. We're dealing with different variants now. And, and, and the immunity that they're delivering is so narrow just against the spike protein that it, it it's... When I hear people tell me that vaccinal immunity is as good as as uh, naturally acquired immunity, these people do not know what they're talking about. Yeah, it's no, yeah. and again, everything we're saying, it's one thing if it's me and a friend and we're drinking beer and we're talking about vaccine passports. Like, it's if you take it with a grain of salt and you go, eh, you know, just kids a moron. But which is why I have on professionals like yourself. To talk mm. about this so it's and i'm not yeah i man i get it you know you know i'm 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 lucky quote unquote lucky that all of my grandparents passed away before covid started so there's really no you know direct impending threat to so i you know i am lucky in that and perhaps i am detached from it because i don't really know a whole lot of people that are at risk all right but that well means, you know i don't know anyone personally and that means you know, that's, that's just anecdotal that's, that's died from COVID. But I know several people that have killed themselves during the lockdown. Yeah. And uh, I know other people who were having what are called transient ischemic attacks, which is sort of like a mini stroke, but you get better on your own usually. Um, and they were told, oh, you need a, something called an endarterectomy where they, they open up the carotid. But we can't do it right now because we're in lockdown and we can't do elective procedures. And then one of my friends actually had a stroke because he couldn't receive the what's thought to be preventive 
treatment because it's elective. Elective surgery doesn't mean nose jobs. Elective surgery means if you don't have the surgery, you're going to die tomorrow. So if, if you don't fulfill those criteria, then what you're undergoing is elective surgery. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's crazy. I mean, and then you look at the data from probably the most, if not the most vaccinated country, certainly one of the most vaccinated countries in the world, Israel. It's literally the world's Petri dish. Speaking of Petri dish, I want to talk to you about a cruise that I heard about uh, on the news. Um, but when you look at the age ranges and look at the uh, who's had COVID and who hasn't, um, the percentage of, of patients who, who are coming in with COVID-19 after being fully vaccinated can range anywhere from 70 to 95%. Now, of course, you're going to hear other places where it's mainly unvaccinated. Uh, and, and of course, that's going to happen. But these are data that come right from the Israeli Ministry of Health. Um, and further, when you hear that, uh, I know this is a free-ranging kind of discussion, when you, when you hear that this is a disease of the or a pandemic of the unvaccinated, there's several ways to look at that. First of all, if it is, well, that's their choice. And they're, and, and we have treatment. If only they allow treatment, these people would, uh, 90% of them would be fine. Um, but even so, that's what our hospital systems are here for, aren't they? Or are we here to protect the hospital system? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, and the, But the other thing that, that is absolutely egregious is that we heard Rochelle Walensky talk about this as being a disease of unvaccinated. Then she clarified and said, well, we're using data from January. Well, in January, who had the vaccine? Nobody, almost nobody. So obviously all the data from January until maybe March, nobody was, hardly anyone was vaccinated. So of course, most of the patients were unvaccinated. So, I mean, to, to say that it's a disease of the unvaccinated based on data that were acquired during a period of time when most people actually weren't vaccinated is um, it's, it's a lie. Yeah. It's, it's an absolute lie. It's, it's a disease that 99.8 people, 0.8% people die or uh, survive from, which again, easier, easier said as someone that isn't in that age group that is, you know, could succumb to it. But then you take a vaccine which has an insanely high... I mean, Dr. McCullough said every year the United States gives out 500 million vaccine doses, over 70 vaccines to people of all ages, and we average 125 right. deaths. Right. Right now we are at 12,366 deaths in the United States alone, with 12,808 permanently disabled right. for a vaccine. Then, well, then, you know, well, you know it's, well, it's got to be worth it, right? So, you know... Well, no, you you don't you, you're not necessarily protected against COVID. Oh my God! Well, you know, at least some people are, right? What what's the death rate of COVID? Point point two percent. And it's like, yeah, so, what's yeah. what's is there any other treatment? Oh, we have actually there's some treatment with with drugs that have uh, decades of use and they cost right. you know pennies to produce. At a certain point, at a certain point, when there are generic drugs that can treat this well. And they're being suppressed in a coordinated manner to usher in uh, an untested mRNA gene therapy that the inventor of which is saying, please don't use this. And we're having historic levels of deaths from this to prevent a disease that doesn't kill that many people relatively. 
I mean, at a certain point, you got to be wearing a tinfoil hat to not question it. Yeah. Well, look, the, ha- the hazard, the hazard rate, that is, you know, the likelihood that you're going to get sick and die from this, as you've just pointed out, is extremely low. And when you see the data, at least the data that they've, that they've published, and they haven't published all their data that we know, um, in the studies, let's say, you know, they looked at 40,000 patients, um, so half got placebo, half got um, active uh, injection. Well, I forget which group, uh, one of the groups, one of the companies uh, used what's called an active placebo. It was an influenza vaccine, um, I think. Uh, or some, yeah, it was some, it was a vaccine. And so all all what they were able to do is say, oh, look, the side effects from this, the at least apart from the deaths, really aren't any different or much different than this other vaccine. Well, yeah, of course. But a true placebo would be a saline injection. Another company did use saline injections, and I just forget which company did which. But if you look at it, you say, okay, 40,000 people were studied, and um, they're reporting, let's say, 400 patients on the whole, in the whole group, got some form of mild COVID. 40,000 patients and 400 people got mild COVID, if they even had it, we're not even sure. And so from that, you, you realize that the they've got like 0.1% risk of, or a 1% risk, let's say, of, of getting the disease in the first place. And then, so when they tell you that there's a, that they're 95% effective, what they mean is, is that in the control group, um, you know, uh, let's say, uh, you know, X percent uh, got sick, and in the experimental group, that was reduced by 95%. Well, isn't that great? But if you look at the absolute risk reduction, it's less than a percent. It's like 0.7%, and that's not stratified. If you stratify it for age group, like extremely young, then the, the absolute risk reduction of you getting sick and dying from this is, is even less. You know, but they talk about this relative risk reduction, which sounds great. And that would be great if the disease killed 20% or 10% of the people it affects. Then you're really talking big, big stuff. Sure. But it affects 1% of the people and then reduces that by 95. Well, I mean, come on. When it's, yeah, when it's Ebola, you know, there's yeah, it's not drastic, Ebola. Yeah, when there are drastic measures. I mean, you know, it's, is, uh, you know, yesterday was the 76th anniversary of the bombing of Nagasaki. You know, you can argue till we're blue in the face about whether we should or shouldn't have. Were they getting ready to surrender? Was this Eisenhower wanting to make a statement against the Soviets? Who knows? I always bring up my dad's dad was going to be part of the mainland invasion. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. But ultimately, you go, you know, if there was a use for an atomic bomb on a city of civilians, you could argue it was World War II with civilian and soldier deaths mounting to 85 million. Right. If we nuked... If we nuked Baghdad in response to 9-11, let's say Baghdad is a hustling, bustling city of, you might go, oh, that's a little, that's a little overkill. You know, it's, and it's, again, it's not to make light of the people that have died from COVID. I'm not going to sit here. and Like you said, I'm, I'm, I'm not going all in with the, consp- it's 5G depopulation. COVID doesn't exist. No one's actually died. No. It's all green screen. Hey. And you know, it is a serious, like. It's, it's a serious <laughs> thing. It's a serious Especially, thing. Um, old guys like me, if you if you get sick um, and you're not treated uh, aggressively early on, 
it can be very serious. So we're not disputing that. Not at all. We have treatment. And in fact, the treatment, there's a recent prophylactic study uh, that um, was just published. It just came out this week, I think, showing a 90 some odd percent or maybe 80 to 90 percent reduction in um, infection. Uh, in healthcare workers working in a high-risk uh, environment, you know, uh, COVID, influenza, whatever, but COVID mainly. And all they did was give them, in this case, two doses of ivermectin one day apart, fairly moderately high doses in my opinion, but nonetheless, two doses, that's it for the month. And then when they looked at, at, at month two, there had been a 90% uh reduction in the incidence of COVID-19 in those who received uh, the ivermectin versus the healthcare workers that, that didn't and um, that received placebo. And when you look at that, well, that's as good as the vaccine, but it doesn't kill anyone. <laughs> it's... And you know, and like and I do have I do have to kind of go back and emphasize like no it's not to make light of these that there's a guy I have on here every week Roger he's my favorite author he wrote a sci-fi book I read several years ago and I got him to come on the podcast last year now he comes on every week and we just shoot the shit about this that and the other he and I couldn't be on more opposite ends politically but we always agree to disagree because we're adults and we have a we have great conversations and laugh our asses off he has horrible heart problems he has got the vaccine he's very pro vaccine. I completely get his fear. If he gets it, I mean, he could be dead. I understand. I, I really do. But to me, it's like if this thing is truly as bad as this isn't some like, hey, no one used the vaccine. We got to use X or no one used ivermectin. We can only use the vex. This has nothing to do with that. I'm like, are, what, wouldn't we be pulling out everything to fight this thing if it truly was as bad as we say it is? And it's, you know, if if we want to sit here and say, you know, every death counts. Well, you know, she said, you know, people have committed suicide. I lost an older brother to suicide in 2014. Shit sucks. But I mean, like, uh, uh, at the same time, like, I'm not going to go, if there's one, if there's one suicide, then we can't do lockdowns. So this whole idea of all or nothing is insanity. And furthermore, well, it is complete insanity. And, and somehow it seems that uh, the pro lockdown zero COVID people are highly accepting of people dying from heart attacks, missed cancer diagnoses, strokes, suicides. Vaccines. That's okay to die from, but God forbid you should die from COVID. Yeah. And and so so we've we've put everything as if COVID um, was the only disease. Quite frankly, your friend with the heart condition, um, I, I know uh, I speak to Peter McCullough quite frequently, and... Um, you know, he used to support the vaccination for high-risk people. Mm -hmm. he, he really, he felt, as we all did, that it was unnecessary for the very young because of all, even then early signals of perhaps danger. And But at the very least, just you don't need it. Mm -hmm. um, but now he's changed his mind based on what he's now seeing in his practice as of others and saying that, you know, even in a high-risk individual, it's not a good idea. And in particular, if you talk to Byron Bridal, who is a researcher in Canada, who uh, also a vaccinologist, immunologist, he realized that the protein that we're developing antibodies against, the spike protein, and that's what the mRNA and, and the DNA virus is, adenovirus, is stimulating, stimulating our body, all our cells, in the brain, everywhere, 
to produce uh, millions, billions of copies of, of spike protein. This is a toxic molecule, and it has cardiotoxic effect. It has um, effects on blood vessels, on the cells that line the blood vessels, which can lead to clot formation. Um, I mean, it, it, it's a toxic molecule, not supposed to be expressed by brain cells and, and found in the brain and then attacked by the immune system in the brain uh, or in other, in other systems. So if I was, if I'd been in your friend's shoes, knowing what I know, I'd still rather um, take the, the uh, take my chances and take a preventive uh, approach, or even if I didn't want to be on medication for preventive reasons, I, I would at least make sure that I had access to immediate um, uh, and, and, and high quality early multi-drug intervention. And it's nuanced. It's based on the stage of your disease. You know, a lot of the studies, for example, again, that show no effect of this, that, or the other, they treat the patients two weeks into their disease. That's too late already. Yeah. And of course, they're not going to see much of an effect. Yeah. Except maybe for ivermectin. Hydroxychloroquine seems to work best at the early stages. Yeah. It's, yeah. And <clears throat> to, to emphasize what I was uh, saying about my, my buddy, uh, Roger, um, my whole thing is this, is maybe it's not, you know, McCall says he doesn't recommend it to anyone. You know, maybe that's true. My, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a hard line, do what you will with your own body. So if someone wants to get the vaccine, even if the world's most published cardiologist is saying, don't get it, and you want it, I think you should get it. If you want to smoke crack cocaine to fight COVID, personally, I think you should do whatever you want. I'm just very, we're adults, we can think for ourselves. And you know, yeah, so, um, yeah that's what I mean. It's like, do whatever you want. You want to do ivermectin? Do it. You want to do the vaccine? Do it. You want to be a witch doctor in the Amazon and shake some beads? Knock yourself um, out. Get a plane ticket. Absolutely. I mean, I think who is it? It's Dan. I think it was Daniel Horowitz wrote a great piece, and um, what he's talking about is exactly what you're referring to. Um, whatever you know, we used to have uh, the notion about constitutional and, and Canada Bill of Rights issues. Uh, my body, my choice. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's sort of like my body, your choice. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's, that's that's what's happening, and and I agree with you wholeheartedly. If you want the, if you want the, the the vaccination, fine, but don't force me to get it. And if you are forcing me to get it to protect you, then why are you getting the vaccine? Do I have to put on suntan lotion so your suntan lotion works? Yeah, to it, protect it, you against uh, yeah. It's like that, someone did like a little like comedic sketch, I think, on like Instagram. And it's like two voices, and it's like get the vaccine. Why do I need the vaccine? So you don't give uh, COVID to me. But aren't you vaccinated? Yes, but you need to get vaccinated too so that you don't give it to me. Well, if I get vaccinated, can I still give it to you? Yes. Well, then why am I getting vaccinated? Because they want you to. Who wants you to? The people making money off of it. And, like, I know that's kind of like a simple political cartoon, boiled down explanation. But, I mean, it gets a little – and to, to really kind of – one more thing I want to bring up is so if it – doesn't prevent you from getting it and then even those people that do get it sure let's take the devil's advocate approach maybe it does reduce the symptoms i don't know i'm not a doctor yeah there's evidence that sure you know it's evidence on both sides but you do see some evidence that perhaps the severity is lower in people who've if they've been vaccinated and have a really high antibody level but others who are vaccinated if they have let's say about 30 percent of the 
of the antibody level that their buddies have from the vaccine, they're still going to get just as sick. So to me, it's like I have to walk myself through it. So I'm like, so let me get this straight. We get this vaccine and it doesn't prevent you from getting it. Correct. It just reduces your symptoms. Sure. To the point where you might even perhaps not know you have it. Correct. That sounds great. So you would maybe be asymptomatic. Correct. And you can still pass it on. Yes. Isn't that why we started the 14-day shutdown? It was asymptomatic spreading. Yeah. First of all, asymptomatic spread is a, is a hot issue. Uh, it, it certainly doesn't drive the pandemic, but I used to sort of believe that it really was not an issue at all. But I, I think, it, you know, there, there's uh, to me, there's no question that there is some form of asymptomatic spread. There's a study of, of Marine recruits who were forced, uh, you know, and Marines listen, recruits listen. So they were put into lockdown two weeks before basic training or something like this. Um, and then they were swapped and found to be COVID negative. And then they went into their barracks and um, they were all masked. They were social distanced. Um, they were quarantined even on, at the, at the uh, camp. And um, wouldn't you know it, they started spreading COVID amongst one another. But they were all asymptomatic. So it tells me there must be some form of asymptomatic spread. How that works, we don't know. It might be all fecal. We don't know. Although they even decontaminated the washroom every time they used it. So there, there was some spread, but none of them got really sick, if at all. And so, yeah, I think there might be asymptomatic spread, but it certainly doesn't drive the pandemic. But I actually heard in the same press conference, or maybe one after the other, the following, which is, if you don't get vaccinated, you might get infected, but you might not know you're infected because you'll be asymptomatic and you could spread the disease. But if you get vaccinated, even if you get infected, you might not know it because you'll be asymptomatic, but you won't spread the disease. How does that make sense? That makes no sense. It's usually exclusive. <laughs> Moreover, it looks like people who are vaccinated may have higher viral loads because, you know, the vaccine does seem to prevent some viral uh, attack. And so they have actually, they may be asymptomatic, they're not sick. I just want to talk about asymptomatic, sure. uh, but they, they're not sick, and but they have higher viral loads. So if anyone's going to spread a virus, if, it, if there is some small degree of asymptomatic spread, it's going to be them and not the unvaccinated. But one thing that, that you have to realize is we've been hoodwinked from the very beginning you know with this pcr testing uh which is which was wholly wholly inaccurate it was a case stemic it's not wasn't a pandemic really uh in most people's eyes and what um what's fascinating is is that they talk about well we're testing asymptomatic people and never in history have we ever gone out and used microbiological or other test systems to test for a, a, a disease in healthy people, um, a, a, a bacterial or viral disease in healthy people. Because we know from many other diseases, even pneumonia, that you'll find the bacteria that cause pneumonia in many, many people, but they're not sick. They don't have pneumonia, but they just happen to have, have some of the bacteria. So the same thing really applies, I think, to viral infections and, and including including COVID, sure other 
other viral infections. And they tell you that they're testing asymptomatic people. So we're doing mass testing of asymptomatic people. Well, what that implies, or what most people will infer from that, is if you're asymptomatic, it means you're actually sick. You just don't know it. If they came clean with what they were really doing, which is they're testing healthy people, they're doing random mass testing of healthy people. And then they identify a case of somebody who happens to have uh, some RNA dust from, uh, from COVID and they say, oh, you're a case. That's, that's, that's uh, you know, George, that, that's like George Orwell time, 1984. Um, in fact, I think George Orwell was an optimist. Yeah, I don't think George Orwell, uh, I don't think he foresaw the brilliance of using a, an illness to capture really society. And it's, yeah. I mean, again, like I have no hardline stance on no one use a vaccine. Personally, I don't want it. And, you know, I, I would, I don't need to get myself in trouble. I don't, no one's going to force anything on me. And, but nor do I want to force anything on anyone else. What about right. private companies? Goddamn right. They're private companies. If Walmart wants to tell me you got to have a passport, well, I guess I'm not going to Walmart. And I am 100% for it. YouTube says you can't talk about it. Well, YouTube's a private company. If they want to kick me off, which they have four times, then they'll do it. Okay, get it, got it, good. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to argue Section 230. Okay. But let's just, let's choose that path and let's go with it. If we're going to say private this, private that, Sure private individual leave me alone i don't want it if you do want it i should not and will not but more importantly should not be able to prevent you from taking it so if you want to take a vaccine go for it you want ivermectin go for it you want to shake some beads at the sun god and make a sacrifice to raw go for it not my cup of tea but go for it you know yeah but even even companies forcing people uh, you know i know most of the constitution is made to protect us from the government um but uh, even even private large corporations that are mandating vaccines, they're still doing things that I think are bordering on evil, but certainly um, I think contravene the spirit of of the uh, U.S. Constitution and the Canadian Bill of Rights. And uh, when you talk about YouTube uh, censoring, and you're right, it's uh, you know the the um, censoring laws and freedom of speech that really applies to the government. The government. Uh, keeping its hands off of free press and uh, leaving the public square alone. But what's happened is that YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter have become the de facto public square. And so I think that we have to look at it in a a very different way. Yes, they're private companies, but they have become the de facto public square. And they should not be allowed, um, in my opinion, to uh, carry out the types of censorship that they're doing, particularly when they censor people like Dr. McCullough. If he mentions the word hydroxychloroquine, that YouTube video comes down in about 10 minutes. Oh, as someone that's been suspended four times now, I know that. That's why I always put things up. But now they'll even take down the videos where, let's say I do an interview with Dr. Hodkinson. I won't upload it anymore. What I'll do is I'll what it used to do is that upload the first 30 seconds and then it would cut off and it'd be me saying, Hey, go to bit shoot rumble odyssey and Spotify. They take down those clips now oh, really? because I'm linking to misinformation. 
So now when I have on someone like yourself who I can't upload to YouTube, what I do is I upload a 30 second video and I say, I talked to a doctor and we talked about some things. That's it. And you got to go watch it somewhere else. I'm not going to tell you where to watch it, but you got to go watch it somewhere else. So, and I'm, I'm with you to the fact of public square. Again, I'm not a constitutional lawyer, nor am I a corporate lawyer. I don't understand these things. I mean, I know Teddy Roosevelt broke up everything, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know what it is because I don't. And I'm not going to try to speak from a position of authority that I can't speak from. But man, during a pandemic, when you cannot assemble, then there is no town square. The only town square is the cyber square. At that point, whether like it or not, you are the town square now. You know, like it or not, big auto manufacturers, you are now defense contractors in World War II. You're now building, you're now making artillery shells. Sorry. You just, I don't know. Yeah. These, but, these are the de facto town squares. They're censoring people. And the people, the, the, the people who are doing the fact-checking um, have no credentials at all. They just absolutely... Uh, have no clue what what they're doing i mean what i mean how many old ads can you cut out from magazines a doctor saying marlboro they're the best for pregnant women yeah i mean i I recommend yeah not even that though you go back to the 90s and i was watching some of those uh, old commercials last night oxycontin like no dependence and you go back to the 40s you go uh, nazi germany you know pervitin you need you know is the housewife if she being a little low give her some pervitin it's methamphetamine in what looks like a Mentos cap. Hey, I'm sure it was a good time, but I mean, come on, let's have some honest. And so the idea that it's not all being manipulated and furthermore, but again, the, you know, uh, <laughs> when you talk about, let's say thalidomide, you know what, what went on Flipper there. Babies. That, yeah. That, that's what really gave the impetus to add either. I don't remember if that was why they created the FDA or at least gave it more power. And Years and years ago, I think the FDA was a very good organization. Uh, but in the last ten years, listen, they get they get direct grants and money from big pharma. So does the CDC. I think the CDC might even be a private, privately owned venture. It's government associated or affiliated, but it's not owned and operated by the U.S. government. I'm not sure about that completely. But the bottom line is, is that these. Um, these platforms, these companies are uh, receiving a huge amount of funding and they are not carrying out uh, the duties that they did before uh, to prevent the next thalidomide. In fact, um, it looks like the exact opposite. I mean, when Tony Fauci comes out and says, I'm pretty sure that the vaccines will receive full approval within the next couple of weeks, I find that absolutely shocking and astounding. It's how they can even think that it's whatever's happening. And the reason why I'm doing so many episodes with doc- and people asking, like, Tommy, you're really passionate about COVID. No, I'm not. I really would like to talk about aliens and UFOs and Bigfoot. But one thing above all else is I, I don't like to be told what I can't do. And so when I read history and I look at this and I, and I can't help but feel like, we're in the middle of something that one day we're going to look back on and say, how did that happen? So my logic is, is well, let's document during it as much as we can so that one day we can look back. You use, you take video recordings of a bank 24 seven, cause you never know what day you have to yeah. go look back at. That's, That's right. My logic. 
you know, who's going to be on the right side of history here? And I think it's us. Yeah. Um, I'd I like think, to be wrong. I'd like to be yeah, wrong. Maybe the vaccines wrong. come out and they're the best thing in human history. Egg on my face. I was hopeful. I was really hopeful. But then when I started to see what I saw, I realized that, oh, gee, even that's not paying off. But, you know, uh, uh, we, we all have to uh, do our do our part, I guess. With me, it wasn't even a matter of, you know, I'm this social justice warrior or I, I'm this, this uh, whatever activist. Yeah. But when I started to see the resistance to um, ideas related to management of this of this disease that that completely ignored the underpinning uh, scientific data, I just realized I thought, wow, this, this is this is serious. We're we're going to go. We have treatment. We we do have treatment that works. I mean, I was already aware of the work that Didier Raoult had done in France. I mean, his data are, are fabulous. And how anyone could say that he just has anecdotal data or it doesn't mean anything, I is is beyond me. And um, you know, so I mean, I didn't willing. Like, I'm not. The other thing is, do you think I really like sticking my neck out at the risk of you know getting fired or uh, you know, attacked on, on media, social media platforms or whatever. No, it's not exactly the type of person I am. But uh, but when I when I realized what was happening and I wanted to start pushing what I felt was going to be at least part of the answer, particularly in combination with the other drugs identified by Peter McCullough, Didier Raoul, and Dr. Zelenko, I thought, you know, or and Dr. Corey, I thought, what you know. What, What's going on here? So I I got pulled into uh, to this area. Um, we're still trying to we're doing lots of research in terms of data analysis. Uh, we're even doing some research uh, here uh, related to developing some uh, treatments for COVID that are based on the science that I had initially approached medical colleagues with, and uh, we'll see what happens. But um, uh, right now we're not in a good place and i fear that uh no matter what we're saying which almost brings us back to the beginning of it arguing with crazy people we can use all the data we want but uh, i i foresee a day in the not too distant future where we're just going to be forced to get one vaccine or another uh, whether we want it or not that is the day when it's uh, gonna go off the rails because Whenever I bring up how lethal the vaccines are, I always preface it by saying, if you want to get it, go get it. If you right. want to go do fentanyl, knock your socks off. I, I, I wouldn't recommend it, but hey, go for it. What do I know? I'm not, I'm not a genius. That's the, I don't think anyone should have to get anything, nor do I think anyone should not allowed to be get it, to get anything. You know, if, you know, there's right terminal, like, you know, right to choose. If you want the right to choose a COVID vaccine, knock your socks off. I don't know. But I mean, the idea that we're going to tell these people you have to get this and then tell other people we will not use these pre-existing medications that, I mean. They've had to get court orders for people who are on ventilators to receive ivermectin. And each case that I'm aware of, uh, it was done by uh, uh, Mr. Larico from uh, Buffalo, he's a a lawyer, but there are others now involved. Each case that I'm aware of where they went and had to get a legal order for the doctors to prescribe ivermectin. Uh, patients who were dying 
turned around, uh, survived, and are home. And uh, each one of those cases, frankly, I think we're looking at possibly one of the, and considering the the deaths and locked in deaths that are gonna come uh, after the pandemic is over and the lockdown's end, um, we're looking at possibly the, the, the largest failure of uh, public health medicine in history. I think, uh... I think failure is too kind of a term. I think that implies uh, incompetence. I tend to think this is aware, yeah. incompetent, malicious action. It did. I, yeah, it was, I, I, I don't know. I, I, so I hate to think that way. So, so do I. I don't want to be right. Yeah, and so I try not to, but I, I'm not going to argue strenuously with you about that because uh, in some cases, you just can't attribute it to failure. Uh, there, there's something more to it. I mean, here's a little anecdote. When I when I first approached some people about using uh, doxycycline as either as treatment or part of treatment um, to prevent this cytokine storm and, and death, uh, one person, a researcher, actually told me, why would anyone um, want to set up a clinical research study just on the basis of a theory? Yeah, I see your face. I have the same face. Because I kind of thought, I must have missed that lecture when I was doing my PhD, uh, where you do research. I guess you don't do research on the basis of theories or hypotheses. I thought, okay, thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks for your time. And then went, went on and started to uh, ask other people. That's what I heard. Why would you send a rover to a planet that you haven't even explored yet? Yeah. Yeah, why? Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just send it to Michigan? Exactly. Good Listen, question. Believe me, they should send it to Michigan. Maybe. I don't know. It's maybe. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we're in odd times, that's for sure. And I yes. think that, I mean, I think they're one of two. This goes one of two ways. It's either we are in the we're, we're in an area right now that we're going to look back on and say wow you know how did they let that happen and one day we're going to be the old guys going this is how it happened or all opposition will be suppressed and as orwell said if you want an idea of the future imagine a boot stamping on a human's face forever so yeah it's either the end of history or we're developing history i don't know i i do see cracks here and there you do see the odd report, even in the mainstream media, that starting to cast doubt on the effectiveness, let's say, of the vaccine, uh, vaccines. But uh, they still don't want to talk about the um, available treatments, or at least not very much. But I do see cracks. Uh, so maybe something's coming. And as I said, how long can uh, mainstream media or the government hide the tens of thousands of deaths? have occurred as, as a result of these vaccines. Never mind the injuries. How can they hide that? Hey, man, Snowden leaked the innermost sanctum of the NSA. Yeah. There's a lot more evidence for this. We'll, we'll, wrap, we'll wrap up on this thought. Is You know, I look at things where, like, like political conspiracies, who killed JFK, you know, was the Gulf of Tonkin fomented so we could go in and make... Ellsberg files. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when you have these, like, human events, those can actually be silenced forever. Like, if there's, like, two people that know about JFK and one of them gets whacked and the other takes it to the grave, 
then it truly does. It goes away and no one can ever find it. Right. You can't do that with science. We burned a lot of them at the stake in the 1500s. Eventually, yeah. we sent up a you know a satellite. And we went, huh? It is round. <laughs> yeah, and you know uh, there are hundreds of scientific articles published in journals uh, that are uh, that align with what we're saying. There are other articles that don't. Um, now and again, you know we're all biased. So I admit that I must I've got bias. Uh, but having said this, when I've reviewed the articles that that seem to um, completely um, disagree with any of the things that we've been saying. The it, you look at those articles; it's as if the research it couldn't have been done any worse unless it was planned to fail. That's how bad some of those studies have been. It, it, yeah, it's. Uh... And you know, you, you're aware, of course, of the the first two major articles: one in the New England Journal, one in the Lancet, that had to be withdrawn. That showed suggested hydroxychloroquine not only wasn't helpful, but was killing people. And then they had to withdraw it, not because they didn't get human ethics approval or they didn't fill in this form. It was because they were completely made of whole cloth. They were totally fabricated studies, um, uh, a complete and utter lie. And yet because of those studies in these major mainstream journals, all hydroxychloroquine related research stopped. That was it. That was the end of it. And then when they were retracted, you didn't hear anything. You heard about the articles from the newspapers when they were published, but when they were retracted because they were shown to be complete, completely false, um, not, not even badly done, just false, uh, nobody ever talks about it. And some people still use those articles to refer to in, in, article, in papers or research papers that they're writing. Uh, with you know, uh, unlike JFK or something, eventually you can go find. You, we could argue about the moon until the end of time, or you could fly mm-hmm. up there and go, "Huh, there are the rovers. There's yeah. the footprints." At a certain yeah. point, and I'm not saying it's today. It's not saying tomorrow. Hell, with you know, with the astronomers in the dark ages, it might take half a millennia. Eventually, it seeps through. You can't stop it. No, I, I, I think in this case, there's enough documentary evidence. Yeah both published and, of course, uh, uh, video and, and so on. I mean, certainly published the data ranging from op-eds to editorials to scientific publications that have been peer-reviewed and published and not withdrawn um, that show that I, I believe we're on the right side of history and uh, hopefully, eventually, um, time will, will show that we're doing the right thing. All it takes for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. And I'm not saying I'm a good man, but I'm trying. And I think you are. We're all trying. trying. For everybody listening, as, uh, as you can now tell, sometimes we stick to science and sometimes we just start yelling about tinfoil hats, but uh, that's why I love my podcast. And that's why I have a good time doing it. Dr. Tenenbaum, I would love to have you on again sometime and maybe we'll stick more to the studies and the, in the actual sure. scientific terms, but uh, I had a great time. I thought that was fun. Thanks for coming, yeah, on, man. It was fun, and I tried to throw in a few articles there. Yeah, you did. Yeah, we we slipped it in there. You got it. You got to slide it in there. You got to just slip it right in. You got to put the medicine in the ice cream. 
right? Exactly. Start talking about lizards and reptiles from outer space, and then you slip in hydroxychloroquine, and then, you know, you start yelling about Nazis, and you slip in McCullough. You just <laughs> get it right in there. Just sneak right. it in there. But um, Dr. Tenenbaum, thank you so much, sir. I will email this to you when it's up. It'll be up later tonight or won't be on YouTube, but it will be on Rumble, BitChute, Odyssey, and Spotify. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, man. Sure. Thanks for coming on. I hope you come on again. It's sure. a blast. That's what I tell sure. everyone. You know what got me to come on was when I understood that you you interviewed the last astronaut to step off the moon. Uh, isn't that what you said? Charlie Duke, the youngest man Charlie to walk Duke. on the moon. The youngest man to walk on the moon. Even left, I think, some sort of thing for his daughter. Yeah, he's been on here three times. Charlie Duke, tenth yeah. man to walk on the moon. He's uh yeah. that guy's that guy's he's 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 the most like proficient ninety year old ever with a phone. He'll like text oh, he's, me. he'll text me. Yeah. He's one of my heroes. He's, so. I love him. He is the coolest guy ever. I love talking to him. He's yeah, I mean, talking about, you know, walking up to the Saturn five and it's like bleeding off and he's like you know, there's no one around there and he's like, Man, are we really about to get on this thing? And yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I yeah I asked him. I was like, "Do you ever get used to the fact that you walked on the moon?" And he's like, "I still look up at the moon." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> I was yeah. like, you know, he's a yeah, I'm he's sure. a hey man, he's the coolest. But thank you for coming on. I hope you uh, send it around to people. And if you know anyone that'd like to come on, send it to them. I'll email you. I'd love to have you on again. But uh, for now, thank you very much for coming on, sir. Thank you. Yes, man. Bye bye. Thank you, buddy. Take care. God bless everybody. Stay safe. God bless America.